Okay, the scripture reading today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, and uh, verses 12 to 15. This is what the word says. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do... Uh, You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Uh, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It is a little strange. (laughs) Um, I'm grateful for the few that are in the room, and I'm grateful for you uh, who are probably sitting in your living room or somewhere else and uh, joining us in worship. And um, thank you, thank you, Joseph, for um, choosing that one particular song um, to minister to, especially to our, our brother and um, sister, um, Walter and Tiffany, and, and all of us who are, are hurting with them, um, with that um, terrible loss that they went through last Sunday. Um, this is uh, the Lord's Day, and um, it seemed very appropriate that, that during this period when, you know, this, the, the, our shelter-in-place order from our county started on... Monday, and then the rest of the whole state joined us later in the week. And there's lots of places around the country that's doing this. And, um, and it's almost like, uh, you know, like a nationwide stop, you know. And, um, and the costs are not easy, but, um, you know, we're going to learn. We're learning, and maybe for some of you, I know that uh, I heard story this week that this week being at home with your children and trying to, like, just change all your routines is, is, is stressful, and, but this is uh, the Lord's Day, and let's worship. And one of the ways we're going to worship is take a second week on this very important commandment of, of, uh, of, of, of keep the Sabbath and keep it holy and come to this, um, this command, which literally means Shabbat Sabbath, literally means to stop. And so um, it's a kind of part two from last week. And I've entitled this message, A Window into Eternity, because uh, last week, we're really talking about what Jesus did in the past, but this week, we're really going to look at what hope we have for the future. And so, um, and uh, I want to look at that as you look at what, what is Sabbath, it's a way of reshaping your time and reshaping all of your days, and then the way you rethink rest and work, and then, um, and then the promised land to come. So um, let's get into it. Part one, Sabbath as a window to the promised land, all right? Part one, Sabbath as a window to the promised land. Part two, I want to give you another important piece of, um, a piece of wisdom of how to go about doing this, and I'm going to call part two, Cycles of Life-Giving Rest. We're going to have to learn, we're not good at this. And even the, the passage, one of the passages I'm going to look at today even tells you that you have to, this is strange, strive to come into a rest. 
And so um, I'm going to give you an important piece of wisdom on this. Cycles of life-giving rest is part two. And part three, I want to close by sharing the gospel um, with a quote from a famous song. Far as the curse is found. Because this is what we're talking about here. Through Jesus, work has become cursed. But as far as the curse is found, Jesus has released us. And we can begin to taste that through Sabbath, okay? Okay. Part one. Um, Sabbath is a window to the promised land. Uh, let me start with this illustration. You've been on a plane, and um, you're going someplace, and you're really looking forward to going there. So, like, my, my wife is from New York, and so every couple years, we get, we get to go and see, you know, our family out there. And so, as the, the plane is starting to descend, you know, you could see, you know, all the great skyscrapers of the city. Or, um, you know, a few years ago, our family went to Hawaii, and you know, what you get is you get this window <laughs> and you're not there yet. You're not there yet, but you can start to see it. <laughs> so you're in, I mean, you're in a plane and you're on a journey and you can begin to see it and you're not, you can't fully experience what New York or Hawaii is going to be like, but your heart and your life can start to look forward to it and anticipate it. And you know you're on this journey. And so it's very helpful to have that window because then that window helps you to see where you're going. And um, this is a, I, I think this, this thing that I, I want to talk to you about today is that, you know, it's like, a, how, do, how do you see this? How do you see into this promised land that we're going to? I mean, we call it heaven, but the Bible calls it a promised land. And all of this stuff about Sabbath is, what does it mean to not live enslaved in Egypt? Last week, I told you that um, all of us, if there is no other place to go, and there is no other, um, that there is no other king besides Pharaoh, there will be a Pharaoh in your life, and he will squish you by his thumb. And in, in many of your cases, your Pharaoh might be you. <laughs> and so there's, I mean, seven days a week, all the work that you have to do and all the guilt and anxiety of what you're supposed to do. And one of the brothers uh, I, was, I was talking to this week, you know, of course, through video, he was saying um, that he was realizing that on, on a given Sunday, this is supposed to be his Sabbath, but anxiety from the work that he has to do on Monday starts seeping into his mind. And that anxiety he started realizing is, well, that, that is like, that, that anxiety is kind of, messing up the holiness of this day. It's supposed to be separate and it's supposed to be a gift. And, and as I'm doing this, essentially my heart is breaking Sabbath. And so what we're talking about here is you need something in your life. And the Lord graciously put this. So this command is not just that go do this and go do a piece of religion. Really, it's putting a profound practice in your life. And it's the whole day becomes a window into something that you can look forward to. Now, I want to take you to another passage in the Bible. Um, and it takes, it takes a little bit of, a, of explaining. But let me, um, I want to take you to this passage and see if, are we getting it up here? Hebrews chapter 4. Excellent. So before we look at that, I, want, I need to give you a little bit of background so you can explain this. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a complex, and quite frankly, it's a, bit of, it's a kind of a frightening passage. But... Um, I want to give you, there's two important pieces of background you have to get to understand what I'm going to take you to here. One is that all of work, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, there were two huge curses that were placed upon us through the sins of disobedience. 
Eve received the curse of all her relationships. Relationships are cursed. And then the other thing that was cursed, Adam received the curse of his work. Oh, it says, uh, all the, this is from Genesis chapter 3. I'll just give you a quick. You shall not, um, you shall, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and has eaten of the tree, you shall not eat of the tree of life. But instead, cursed is the ground because of you, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you, and you shall eat of the plants by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, I want to just stop for a moment here. Work was commanded by God before the fall. So some of you think that heaven will just be this place, will be eternal vacation. It will not, I don't think that's true. I think there'll be work, because work was good. But this thing that you, we all instinctively, intuitively know is good and really important in life, most of you wake up in the day, and even if you're not going off to work to make money, if you are a stay-at-home mom, you know there's a lot of work to do. If you are a student, you're not making money, but there's work to do. And um, I, I talked about last week of a graduate student, a PhD student, and she had to basically take a whole day. She's not making much money because at that stage in life, she has a PhD student in science, but she had to learn to stop. Now, why? Because work is cursed. And one of the important things is... If all seven days was done with work, then you would be under that curse every day. And all your life you'd be under curse. And that's the way it is in Egypt, under Pharaoh. You're under the curse of Pharaoh. And just think a little bit about this. It's not even just, first, money. I gotta, I gotta make money. If I don't make money, then we're, we're, we're not gonna eat. We're, we're gonna lose our house. And I know that's a very serious that's this very serious fear that's going on in a lot of people right now. I mean, literally millions of people around our country are probably starting to fall into that fear. And I hope that today, by faith, you can have some rest. But there's other things. Our worth and um, our promotions, our name, all these things, they're all good. There's nothing bad about wanting to have money. There's nothing bad about trying to do some good job or wanting to get a promotion or to have a name or to gain worth and to find something in this life that you feel like gives you worth. None of those things are bad, but if you take God out of it, if you take God out of it, it will rot. And the thing that's supposed to be good will come back. It'll come back to get us. And that's part of the curse. And a lot of people today don't understand that. And if there is no one day that's set apart and there is no voice from another time and another place to break in. There's no window to another reality. This is all there is. There's just Egypt. And so the work, how can it, how can it get away from you? Even if you, quote unquote, take time off and you stop working, I'm asking you this question. How can you get to the actual place of the stop and of the rest, not just of your body where you're not in front of your computer, or you're studying, or doing physical labor, or at your, and you know, whatever it is that you do to do work. If you, if you have this anxiety and in all the preoccupations of the promise of work and of the need of work, then all those things will still have a grip on you and you're still captured into Egypt. So that's one point. Second point. This is a passage that's making a reference back to a time when the people of Israel, they've been released out of Egypt. 
And then God is taking them through the wilderness to the promised land. But there are many, there are no, uh, many of them, they essentially, because they, they're not there yet, <laughs> and every day there's a certain amount of stress. Where will our food be? Like we're, you know, they, they don't, they're not even working for their food. God just gives them their food every morning through manna. And what they begin to do is they begin to grumble. And any time it feels like their life is threatened, what they begin to do is says, it would have been better if we were back in Egypt. And so then they start looking back to Egypt and then they want some other God besides God, besides Yahweh. And that's where this passage picks up. So that's a question I want to ask you. It's a scary question. And this is a really, it's actually a rather stern text. And what it's saying is that, are you going to want to go back to Egypt? You, you receive this good news. You've been released by, by one greater than Joshua. That's what the passage is talking about. And so if you know your Bible, Moses took the Israelites who were slaves out of Egypt, but he couldn't take them to the promised land. And then he died on the other side of the river, not on the promised land. And then Joshua came along and then he was the next generation, and he took the Israelites into this promised land that God had chosen for them. But what this passage is saying is that that whole movement that happened in history is not just something that's happening in history. It's happening in your life. It's happening in my life. And there's a, a drama, the central drama of whether you know you're actually going to the promised land and you have faith that God's going to take you out of enslavement. The, the actual drama, the, the crux of that drama is on Sabbath. So that's a mouthful. Let me, let me, let's read this passage. So this is Hebrews chapter four, verse six. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. There we go. The people, they, God killed them in the wilderness. Again, he appoints a day that's God today saying through David so long ago in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. So here's the verse I really want you to take in. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. If you're going to enter as God rest, you have to learn rest. Because if you're going to become fully human and then to be in his presence and to be made in his image, you're going to be like him. And so just as at, at creation, God worked for six days and then he stopped. He's saying, if you want to live in the promised land, you will not work seven days. You will stop. And so here is this command. And will you believe that there really is a promised land? So then he goes on. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Strive to enter that rest so that, are you up there? Verse 11. So that um, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want to hear, hear the words of God that I want to cut into your heart and, and I want you to re, um, wrestle with this question. 
There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There is a rest that's going forward. And it's interesting. There's an ultimate rest when we get to the promised land. And then we practice that looking forward to the altar in what I'm calling a window through stopping. And then he says this in verse 11, strive to enter that rest. Why? Because we don't know how to do it. We're not actually good at it. It's, 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 a, it's a strange, ever, you know, it, when, when I was young, I read that. I was like, well, that's really weird. You have to strive to enter a rest. The reason you have to strive is because there has to be a fight inside of you. If there isn't a fight inside of you to all the part that's fearful or worried or constantly where you're trying to practice, I have to be Lord of my life and I have to have control or I have to save myself. And the way to save myself is to work more, to get more done and to do more and to be more productive. If that's the way your wisdom is going to be, I hope today's word will cut to your heart and that instead there'll be a fight. Let, let me put it a little bit. Let us fight. Not, not just let us strive, let us fight to enter into that rest. And that we will begin to put up um, moats and barriers, not just like, not physical moats and barriers, but there'll be like a moat. You guys know what a moat is, a castle, and then there's, you know, there's this thing that keeps and protects the castle. Or, but let there be like a moat or certain kind of protections around your mind and around your heart. And one of the ways to do this is to take a whole day and to stop and live inside of your identity and to look forward not to New York City, but to the full rest from God who has defeated and taken away the curse. Okay? Let me go to part two. I want to give you um, two pieces of, of wisdom today. I, I already know, I know you're, I'm generally a person that tries, as a pastor, tries not to multiply to do things. But if we're going to have a fight and then we're going to learn rest, we need new practices. Because so many of our practices in our lifestyle are, are, are shaped and conditioned by our enslavement to Egypt, including the, the enslavement to your own Pharaoh of your own mind. And so I want to give you um, two. Now, the first one, I hope doesn't sound too um, elementary. It's, it's both those, one of those things that's super basic, but it's also incredibly advanced. And the first one is, is this. Um, you should develop a real prayer life. <laughs> Develop a real prayer life. And so you're like, oh, pastor, I'm so bad at that. Okay, I get it. Um, one of the things why the Sabbath is a particularly good time to talk about a prayer life is because um, most of us know that this is supposed to be a day set apart from God, for God. And the Sabbath, is, as Jesus said, is, not, is, a, is, um, is made for man. Man isn't made for the Sabbath. You're not here to be squished into doing some kind of religious practice. That here, it's here for it's here to bless you, and and fill your heart. Well, one of the most important ways it fills your heart is that you have to know that you belong to the Lord. And whatever is giving you anxiety, whatever is giving you fear, you can't just go stop worrying about it. Stop thinking about the midterm tomorrow or you know, that promotion that I really want, or if I don't do X, Y, Z things, my, my whole group is going to look down on me, whatever it is. 
or if we don't get more work, then our business is going to close down. However it is that, that, that anxiety that's going in, well, how are you going to get rid of that anxiety if you have no prayer life? And if you're not one of these people that knows how to have a regular prayer life every day, let me encourage you, have it at least once per week. And you know that tomorrow is not just going to be a worship day. If you're a pastor, I don't even know how to pray for, for, for five minutes. Okay? I don't even know if I can pray for two minutes. Well, you could start. You could pray for two minutes one day a week. And maybe you could start by saying, Jesus, I'm terrible. I guess I'm still under the thumb of Pharaoh because I'm really worried about this and this and that in my work. Uh, I'm worried about my children. And if I don't do you know, the, the, the five things that are on my to-do list, then then, you know, the, our house is going to be a mess and the kids won't be well off. And moms, let me ask you, um, in prayer, remember, Jesus gives you rest. This is a gift. You have to go to a place of faith. And how, does, how do you actualize that faith? So on this day of rest, go to him. Fly to him. And put all your cares upon him. Last week, we sang that song. Our, our brother Andy chose that song. Beautiful song. I cast all my cares upon you. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it again, okay? And, um, but so maybe you don't even know how to uh, pray very well. Then sing that song and pray that song. And then mean it. And that would be a very good way to start to practice and have a fight to strive to enter, to fight to enter into his rest. It's, it's one. It's relatively simple. Let me give you a second one. And this is the one I want to um, especially um, emphasize today. And that is fi- find, you got to find this. Some of you may not even know what this is for you yet. And if you don't know what this is for you, you have to find it. And for each of you, it's probably different. The thing that your husband likes to do may not be the thing you, you, the thing your best friend likes to do, it may not be for you. So find and then do regular, regular life-giving habits. Find something you really, I don't, I don't even want to, a hobby sounds like almost like too little of a word. But um, find something that when you do this, this isn't just fun. I'm not talking about not working. I'm not talking about entertainment. I'm not even talking about fun. A lot of people just think, okay, we're not working. Let's just go do have fun. Let's just go eat good food and then watch a movie, Netflix, or do fun. Some people like video games, whatever. I'm, that, that's, fun does not equal rest. There's something that fills up your heart that when your heart feels empty or dry or you're dying inside or you're even hurting inside, so all of it, and by the way, you don't have to hurt, hurt. If you just feel empty and dry and you don't have much left in the tank, you are, in a sense, kind of, you are hurting. Even if you're not upset or crying. And so you need to put, find those things. God put a lot of good things in the world. And for whatever reason, the way you're wired or the way you brought up, who knows, some combination of nature and nurture, or maybe this is just from God to you, there's something in the world that's like his gift to you. And you should go find it and go do it. 
and enjoy it. So I want to give you an example of this. Um, so I read this a number of years ago. This is, this is from a book. I'm going to read a little passage from a book called uh, uh, What They Didn't Teach You in Seminary. <laughs> okay? And so it's actually written by a pastor for pastors. So it's like a, an, a more, an older, experienced pastor teaching young men who want to go into the pastor or young pastors. Um, and this, is, this was chapter, the very first chapter. <laughs> this is the very first chapter. And one of the things he's talking about is since pastoral ministry could essentially, is so demanding, it's not just demanding in terms of time, but it's a demanding in terms of relationships. So some of you may, may think pastors don't do much, but, <laughs> um, but you know, he, he, there's a lot for us to do. If, if we pastors don't stop, literally, there's always something to do. There's always something more to be done. Someone that you, you feel like, I should call them, I should consider them, or like pray for them, or something bad is happening over there. Something bad could be prevented. There's all kinds of things like that. Now, you don't have to be a pastor to understand this. Inside your own work, there's probably endless, endless things. And there's probably numerous kinds of things that give you anxiety. But let me just tell you, inside of the, <laughs> one of the hard things about being a pastor is uh, there's a lot of that. And then every now and then something breaks and it just completely blows up. And he gave this example of, of a time when he was about to go off on vacation and then he got this call from, I think, one of the, uh, um, the other persons on staff and then a bunch of people had gathered at that other person's house and found out that uh, so-and-so on staff was having an affair with, with the worship leader. And then, it, of course, it blew up his vacation and then, you know, this was a horrible mess inside their staff and then it was incredibly painful then from the relationships. It broke a lot of relationships. So this is just... Something that's really bad that can happen, this is the kind of a disaster scenario inside of, of a pastor's work. You all have disaster scenarios and then that could really hurt and break you, but you have to have stop. And so this is one of the pieces of advice he gave and I think it's incredibly relevant to you. Life-giving habits. So this is how we put it. I've had to learn to intentionally pursue, this is James Emery White, Emotionally replenishing experiences. When you hurt, if you don't find something God-honoring to fill your tank with, you'll find something that isn't God-honoring. Or at the very least, you'll be vulnerable to something that isn't. I'm convinced this is why so many pastors struggle with pornography. Of course, not only pastors, lots of men do. Um, it offers a quick emotional hit. To prevent that, I've had to learn to do things that ch channel deep emotional joy into my life. For some folks, it's boating or golf or gardening. For me, it's travel reading, time alone with my family, enjoying anything outdoors, particularly the mountains. That's the way I put it. Several years ago, a man I had invited into my life in a mentoring relationship asked, Jim, what do you do that really puts gas back into your tank? If you could do one thing that would rejuvenate you spiritually and emotionally, what would it be? I didn't have to think very long or hard. Some of you, you might have to think, maybe you don't know. He's blessed that he does know. But in his case, this is his answer, because I knew the answer. I would go to the mountains and be alone. <laughs> well, because he's an, he's an introvert. 
It's interesting. He's a, he, he makes that point to you. He says, it's strange that a lot of pastors are introvert. I, I personally am not. I think Young is a little bit more toward the introverted side, but I'm, I'm very much on the extroverted side. Um, but he's an introvert. And this is the way he put it. For as long as I can remember, the mountains have held special significance for my spirit and emotions that I cannot explain. Being there alone is particularly rich as I gain my deepest emotional energies apart from others. He said, good. That's his mentor. You should do that once a month. I laughed. You gotta be kidding. (laughs) Once a month? The mountains? I was like, I don't know the time. This this guy, I I don't know if he was a megachurch pastor back then, but he's a megachurch pastor now. And so, you know, you don't have to be a megachurch pastor and never feel like you don't have the time. And you don't even have to be a pastor and not think you don't have the time. But this is a reaction. Completely um, normal if you live in Egypt. My life is too busy, too full to put something like that into my schedule. Then he said something I'll never forget. If you don't, you will end up in a ditch. You will burn out. Lose your ministry, perhaps even your family, and become a casualty of the cause. I knew he was right. I was already seeing the edges of my life fraying and knew how easily my world could unravel. Just think about that for a moment. You know, when I, I don't know if many of you know this, but one of the things I do as a pastor is I just kind of, I've studied marriages and family, and as I meet you, I, I look for indicators that your marriage is fraying. And when I walk around and meet people in the city because I have like these pieces of knowledge, you know what I, I notice? Um, people tell me little things, a little, and they don't, you know, of course, they're not trying to be, tell me anything private, but they don't have to tell me anything private. They just tell me something that's a little factoid of how their life is going, and I know their life is fraying. I know their marriage is in trouble. And you know, this is all over our city. This is what Egypt in the wilderness, no Sabbath rest, no rest from God, like God, does to people. And so how do you get real rest? Your soul, your heart must find a whole new energy and a fullness. That's what real rest is. And you have to have deep permission. In fact, a command is more than a permission. It's a command. Because God knows you need this and he wants to love you this way. So then here's how he puts, how it goes, So I went to the mountains. My first trip found me staying in a budget hotel, so it wasn't fancy, just overnight in the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains. I remember it to this day. It was like water on a dry desert. I felt energy and emotional renewal flowing into the deepest recesses of my inner being. See Sabbath as a soul. I came home walking on air. I, I entered our foyer, hugged my kids, and kissed my wife. She thought I'd been drinking. <laughs> I had, from the well, from the well of emotional, emotional renewal from which God intends, intends, that's where he said, I had been drinking, but not alcohol, from the well of renewal from God, for all of us which he intends to draw from the living water. So now I escaped to the mountain to a little bed and breakfast monthly. Every month I leave on a Thursday afternoon. He's a pastor. You know, his, uh, his Sabbath is not Sunday. So I guess he takes it. So on a Thursday afternoon, 
As I drive toward the cool air and clear skies, I feel the weight of the world falling off my shoulders. I feast off of it for weeks, four to be exact, until I venture to my precious emotional retreat once again. On the front end, I would have told you that it was impossible to put this into my life. <laughs> Looking back, I tell you that it's in unthinkable not to have it. So here's my question for you. If you could do one thing that would reju rejuvenate you emotionally, what would it be? In your heart, I'm saying, what could you do that could give you a Sabbath of the heart and of your mind? Put that moat around your mind. So like, it's like the prayer is the beginning of that moat. But then this life-giving habit is a thing that's going to fill your heart to give you real rest of the soul. So now here's my challenge for your sake. Go do it. <laughs> so let me just give you, I mean, this isn't what I do. <laughs> I'm not a mountain person. Um, I've done this a few times. I'm more of a beach person and I go and I spend long hours actually in prayer with God. And my wife could tell you this too. I come home from the beach and she could tell I'm like, I'm just better. And I don't do it once a month. I do it like more like <laughs> maybe twice a year or three times a year. But um, I'm thinking about that. And so, you know, what is your mountain? I want to ask you that question. What's your mountain? And, um, and, you know, it's not something that you may do every week, but maybe you could pick a day. And it might not even be Sunday. You could do it regularly. So um, I want to just give you some possibilities. Um, talking and enjoying something together with a close friend or your spouse or a family member. Maybe that. Could be uh, my wife and I, we take, um, in a sense, I believe that like our, my wife and I, we try to take like a Sabbath at the end of the day. And so for an hour or two, we watch some TV show and then sometimes we talk about it and then we conk out. It doesn't seem like much, but um, it's my favorite person. <laughs> and so being with her, sometimes a TV show stinks and sometimes it's good. And it's, it's, um, it's, it says something. It's an important habit in my life. Um, how about some other ones? Uh, maybe you like reading a book and over a really good cup of coffee. So go to your favorite cafe Give yourself permission to buy that coffee that costs too much money and read a book that has nothing to do with work. <laughs> Maybe it's anime, all right? Maybe it's a comic book. And, and then go do it. And do that for a couple hours or an hour or whatever it is that, that is it. Um, I, I, I thought about maybe for you it's cooking, and so it's interesting because like the work of cooking may be fun for you. Cooking and then eating something you really like. Some of you may, the eating might not be the, the cool part. Maybe the cooking is the cool part. I know most of us, it's the eating, right? Um, and one other one that, I, that, that came to mind while I was thinking about this message is um, a number of years ago, I watched a movie called uh, Field of Dreams. And people think it's about baseball, but it's not. <laughs> it's about this. It's about a window into when a place and a time when all the curse and the things that break you down in life would be healed. 
And so um, it's just that in the movie that it's like, it's, a, it's, it's, it's imagined as a baseball field. And it's a young Kevin Costner. And um, then he gets this moment when he plays catch with his dad. <laughs> and as a boy, he used to play catch with his dad, you know? And then he got to do so, um, he got to do so, he got to do so now as an older man. And then this special, and he said, I only saw my dad when he was young and life was breaking him down and he, it was stressing him out. And sometimes we'd play catch. And then until you know, this thing, which was supposed to be fun for us, one day I told him I didn't want to do it anymore and I really hurt him. So it's like, it's not even just work that's cursed. It's, but Sabbath, there's a day when all that curse is going to be removed. And can there be something in your life that can remind you you could easily do this. And so um, I was actually thinking about this about a few weeks ago. My son and I, we went out to the backyard and we played catch. <laughs> and I was totally thinking about this movie. And um, so maybe it's something like that. Something easy. Maybe it's going for a walk in certain places. Um, so what is that? Have a fight in your life. Prepare it. Make time for it. Make it a priority, please. And in faith, get that permission. It's more than a permission. It's a command from God. And please obey it and live inside Sabbath rest. Now let's close. I want to close them. I'm already giving you some of the gospel here. You think about this. You can't go and give yourself two hours um, to go sit and be unproductive. Oh, unproductive. It's actually incredibly productive. Deeply rested people over the long haul. In the short term, you're going to feel like I'm losing out to all the other workaholics and slaves. But in the long term, deeply rested people can go long. They'll have power when, they, when other people run out. And so um, I'm giving you already some parts, but in order to do that, you have to believe in something. And you need to have this break, this stop, and this day. And the whole day is this window. And so I want to close by saying this, all right? What is it that steals away your rest? So what is it that typically preoccupies you? Uh, is it money? Is it getting good grades? Is it, you know, if I don't get into this school and get these scores... If I don't get to this level, then I'll be nothing. Maybe it's your worth. Maybe it's meaning. Maybe it's just you have to be in control. If I stop and I have to believe that everybody else is going to be doing this, and I, then I won't be in control. Maybe it's you are in control. Maybe it's self-lordship is your real problem. That's why you have to do work. And I want to say this thing. Today, can you believe, can you believe that you can stop and the only way you can believe you can stop is if one better than Joshua. See, Joshua could help them cross the river. They went into a new land. And for a time, the people followed after God. And then they enjoyed this new land. And then they fell again. And then essentially, they kind of started making a new Egypt. 
It's like they're not in Egypt. And this new land, Canaan, started becoming the next kind of Egypt. The only way you could do this is if you really begin to believe that sin, which is not even just bad things that you do, it's things that you believe. It's heart attitudes that you have. It's habits that steal away all your joy and that steal away even inside your heart that you really belong somewhere else and that there's going to be a promise in the future. So I want to close this way. You know, there is a, if all things are cursed and, and definitely work, um, I want to point you to one greater than Joshua. Jesus came, and that's why, because he couldn't just, he had to pay a, a bigger price. And he had to wash us with his blood. And that washing, you know, like it's, it sounds like a weird metaphor, because your whole soul has to be washed. <laughs> with all the, the self-lordship things that are going on inside of you, all the anxiety, that's, that, that has to be washed. And then Jesus can lift the curse. And you need a day to live inside of that. And you need habitually to live inside of that. So you need worship. You need to sing the songs to the one who destroyed and ended the curse with his blood and with new life. And he'll take us to this promised land. So here's, um, here's the way I want to close. Um, there's a famous song. And you all know this song because it's always sung every year at Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a verse that most people don't tend to sing. It's verse three. And I'm going to sing it for you. I know, this is great. You get to listen to me sing, right? I'm going to sing this verse for you. And I want to urge this to you. This is the gospel for Sabbath. Don't you remember this? So here's a, here it is. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Joy to you, okay? Joy to the world. Joy to you. Jesus has come to remove all curse. One day a week, would you remember that? Stop. Stop like God stops. Rest, not like the way you know how to rest, the way he rests. And rest and believe this. As far as the curse has found, Jesus gives you this promise better than Joshua that all things can be made new and you can have a full heart once again. Let's pray. Lord, we are enslaved and we are weak and um, the pharaohs of the world Put fear, it's like the whip of fear and of anxiety and of sadness. 
And over time, even the good things that we used to enjoy, we don't even know how to enjoy. It's, it's like, I used to like eating that food, but then we just go eat this food again because it's quote unquote fun. And we think now that I'm wor not working, it'll, that will help me feel better. But we know that third movie on, the third episode on Netflix, it leaves us empty. But how can our hearts be made full again? And help us to see the things in life as gifts from you. They can only be gifts again if we see them in light of the promised land. And if we live in the window of that promised land, in Sabbath rest, a rest given by Yeshua, whose name is like Joshua. His name actually is Joshua, but better than Joshua. For as the curse is found, he lifts off all the curse of work and all curse of sin to fill our hearts and make our cups overflow and make all good things a gift to us again. I pray for my brothers and sisters and everybody listening to this message, especially in this stressful time of the coronavirus, Lord, they would look for and they would have a fight and they would find that thing that gift that you have wired them to taste and enjoy, their mountain, they would receive it as a great, great gift from Jesus, their Sabbath rest. In Jesus' name, amen.